You are listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's July 29th. In the five months since Russia invaded Ukraine, the U.S. has pledged about $24 billion in military aid to Kyiv. That's more than four times Ukraine's 2021 defense budget. America's partners in Europe and beyond have reportedly pledged an additional $12 billion. And as the West provides billions in aid and more and more powerful weapons to Ukraine, Russia is unleashing more and more death and destruction. If this continues, then further escalation of the conflict seems likely to follow. That's according to Rand's Samuel Cherup and Jeremy Shapiro of the European Council on Foreign Relations, writing in the New York Times this week. The U.S. and its allies should certainly continue providing aid to Ukraine, they say. But the West, in close consultation with Kyiv, should also consider opening channels of communication with Russia. The goal should be to reach an eventual ceasefire agreement. Starting talks while the fighting rages would be politically risky, and it would require significant diplomatic efforts, particularly with Ukraine. It's also important to note that success is not guaranteed. But talks could help identify the compromises needed to find a mutually acceptable pathway out of the war. Otherwise, the situation could further spiral out of control, and Russia and NATO could end up in direct conflict. The potential for the conflict in Ukraine to escalate into a war between Russia and NATO is also the topic of a new RAND paper out this week. The authors examine four of the most plausible scenarios that could lead to Moscow attacking a NATO member state. It's important to emphasize that a war between Russia and NATO is far from inevitable. But the paper lays out specific pathways and potential triggers that could lead to escalation, which are important for U.S. and allied policymakers to track. Notably, the authors find that the most acute risk of Russia escalating to a direct strike against the Western alliance would result from Moscow believing that large-scale NATO attacks on Russian forces in Ukraine were imminent. There is currently little evidence to suggest such risk is present. You can find this paper and more insights on the ongoing war in Ukraine at www.rand.org slash Russia-Ukraine. Dolphins have long been a critical part of the Navy's efforts to detect explosives in the water and make the seas safer. Dolphins have ultra-sensitive biological sonar, allowing them to precisely locate naval mines from near the ocean surface down to the seafloor or even beneath it if a mine is buried in the mud. During exercises, dolphins almost always locate every mine assigned to them, in addition to previously undiscovered mines from World War II. And while they operate in the vicinity of mines, no mine-hunting dolphin has ever been harmed by one. But Pentagon budget cutters have been chipping away at the dolphin program since last year. In the Navy's budget request for the coming fiscal year, funding for the Dolphin team has been slashed by $6.6 million, down to less than $1 million. And some argue that the Dolphins should be replaced by uncrewed undersea vehicles. Rand's Scott Savitz disagrees. While it's true that these vehicles are becoming more and more capable, 
and that they are particularly useful in wide area searches, they have their shortcomings. For example, the vehicles are vulnerable to obstacles that dolphins easily overcome, such as strong currents and thick seaweed. So instead of one replacing the other, machine and mammal may work better together, Savitz says. Beyond limiting access to health care, how might the repeal of Roe v. Wade affect women? Economic research points to some grim consequences, as Rand's Catherine Edwards recently summed up in the Washington Post. Arguably, the most telling research has nothing to do with abortion at all. Instead, it involves divorce. Up until about 50 years ago, both parties had to agree to dissolve a marriage, or one party had to prove that the other was at fault. But then, states started allowing either spouse to act unilaterally, giving women more power to leave abusive marriages. This revolution in family law affected divorce rates, women's earnings, and retirement security. But the most significant and sobering findings involved mortality. 10% fewer women died at the hands of their spouses, and 8% fewer committed suicide. Reports of domestic violence against women fell as well. Abortion, like divorce, gives women the power to leave abusive relationships. In surveys, 31% of women seeking to terminate pregnancies cited a partner-related reason, such as not wanting a child with the man or believing that the father wouldn't care for the child. Of those, about 8% cited abuse as the primary reason, and twice that many said the partner had physically abused them within the past six months. If you extrapolate these survey numbers to 2020, when almost a million abortions were performed in the U.S., it equates to about 25,000 abortions directly related to abuse, and about 50,000 in which the mother was recently abused. And those are the ones who survive. Homicide is the leading cause of death among pregnant and postpartum women, 16% higher than among non-pregnant women of similar age. The Supreme Court's ruling makes it more difficult to prevent a parental relationship, thus redistributing bargaining power away from women and toward men. This will have dire consequences for women's physical safety and well-being, Edwards says. Quote, Only the right to have an abortion can shift the balance between men and women in a way that empowers the latter to extract themselves from relationships that possibly neither wants. That door is now closing, state by state. Black households in the U.S. still hold only a fraction of the wealth of white households. In 2017, for instance, the median white family in America held 14 times the wealth of the median black family. Why do such large racial disparities persist decades after the civil rights movement and the abolition of explicit racial discrimination? A new interactive tool by Rand illustrates one contributing factor. The small effects of racial bias can compound over generations, adding up to large differences. Here's an example scenario. Suppose that bias causes a 1% relative difference in two workers' annual raises. A black worker, we'll call him Daniel, receives a 2% raise each year, while an otherwise identical white worker, Liam, receives a 3% raise. Daniel starts at a salary of $67,000, and Liam starts at $70,000. 
Over a 50-year working career, Daniel, the worker who's black, will eventually earn about $180,000 a year, while Liam, his white counterpart, will have an annual income of about $307,000. Cumulatively, this results in Liam accumulating about $8.2 million over his lifetime, while Daniel accumulates about $5.8 million. Our interactive tool, which you can find on RAND.org, allows you to explore scenarios like this one. You can make adjustments and see how varying degrees of racial bias create inequities in education, income, and wealth. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on today's episode, check the show notes at RAND.org slash podcast. We'll see you next week.